Getting sober requires a lot more than mind over matter, a lot more than willpower. It's about leveraging the support around you. People in recovery typically need a mix of medical help, emotional support, and changes in lifestyle to manage their addiction, not just mental determination. As both a therapist and someone embracing the recovery lifestyle, there's one tool I always recommend to people needing extra accountability, Soberlink. Soberlink is a high-tech breath analyzer system designed to help you get and stay sober. And here's why I love it. You'll test the same day every day, eliminating testing anxiety. Friends and family receive instant test results, helping you rebuild trust and preventing relapse. Accountability is a part of that, and it's something to really be embraced. Devices have built-in facial recognition, so your support circle knows you're testing, and tamper-resistant sensors flag any attempts at trying to beat the system, so your sobriety is never questioned. So let 2024 be your best year yet. Visit Soberlink.com forward slash T-A-M to sign up and receive $50 off your device. That's Soberlink.com forward slash T-A-M. And let accountability be your guide. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Addicted Mind podcast. My name is Dwayne Osterland, and I'm your host, and we are on to another episode. Today, my guest is Jan Winhall, and she is author of the awesome book, Treating Trauma and Addiction with the Felt Sense Polyvagal Model. So in this interview, we jump into what that is, what that means, and how our nervous system really influences our behavioral choices and actually how we perceive the world and our situations and how we can use the felt sense with the help of others to create a sense of safety in our life and therefore with that sense of safety be able to choose behaviors that are more strategic for being our best self. I really enjoyed this interview with Jan. We really dive deep into the felt sense and the polyvagal model. And I think you'll get a lot out of listening to this episode. I hope you enjoy it. Let's go ahead and start it. All right, everybody, welcome to the Addicted Mind Podcast. I am excited to talk with Jan Winhall about the polyvagal theory and felt sense of addiction and what that means. So I'm so excited that you're here and you're willing to come on and talk about it. Jan, please introduce yourself. Tell us a little bit about you, what got you into this work and, and all of that. Sure. So happy to be here. I just recently published a book called Treating Trauma and Addiction with the Felt Sense Polyvagal Model. My book is like a a culmination of over 40 years of practice working with trauma and addiction and really reflecting on how to bring addiction treatment into an embodied approach because the way that we tend to understand trauma and addiction now is much more from a, a top-down kind of cognitive way that 
uses the, like, for example, the DSM, the Diagnostic and Statistical right. Manual, and sees it as a, a kind of through pathologizing lens. And uh, way back when I started <laughs> this work, I was like fresh out of graduate school, and I, I got uh, assigned to run a group for young women who were incest survivors. Wow. And wow. yeah. And through that ex early experience, they really taught me how to understand addiction through the nervous system. So, you know, way back then, we didn't really talk about it like that. We didn't certainly didn't talk about polyvagal theory because it didn't exist, even hadn't, right. hadn't done that work yet. But we did, as feminist therapists, early on, we were very curious about using new models because we felt that the current models were misogynistic and they were right, yeah. they weren't helping women to feel empowered at all it was the opposite and right, it was right. shocking it was shocking to see how these women that i viewed as being victims of violence were really being pathologized you know admitted to hospital put on meds not that that i i'm against meds but Really that, being treated. That something was wrong with them. Like they're, they're, yes. they're, they're having these inappropriate responses. They should control themselves. Yes, Dwayne. Absolutely. Absolutely. Something was wrong with them. And what, what we understood back then, that is really the root, the, it's the basis of the model that I created, was that there wasn't something wrong with them. There was something it wasn't that their responses were maladaptive, that their responses were adaptive in what I call maladaptive environments. Right. That they actually made sense for what they experienced. Yes, because through the lens of the nervous system, what we did understand back then was that there was this flooding place in the body that happened, which we now call the response of the sympathetic nervous system with adrenaline pumping and cortisol pumping. And then on the other end of the spectrum was this frozen numb state in the body. We knew about that, but of course we didn't call it dorsal because we didn't, you know, that wasn't the language right. then. But right. that yeah, is, we didn't know that. that is, yes, but that is really so much uh, of what Steve Porges has contributed to our understanding is that this shutting down collapse state in the body that I could see in these young women was a, the dorsal branch of the vagus, the dissociation. So you're, you're there with these extreme trauma survivors. We'd, you know, we'd like, this is obvious trauma and you're watching them and starting to wonder like, there's something else here that's going on. This isn't, we can't just look at it this, through this other lens that we have of like, there's something wrong with them. They should be in control of themselves, whatever. Um, yes. And, and what I saw, Dwayne, was that I could see it in their bodies. So they were describing to me these behaviors that they were doing that simultaneously hurt them and helped them. Okay. Right. And they didn't understand that. They didn't get it, but they knew that somehow their bodies knew. And in some kind of way, they kind of began to share as we made over time a safe enough place together that they could really open and share that these things they were doing, these behaviors like cutting the body, 
drinking enormous amounts of alcohol, using drugs, engaging in really unsafe sex. All of these behavioral addictions and substance abuse stuff were ways that were helping them to numb. They, they kind of got that on some level or, or that it can go the other way too. They were helping them to jolt and wake up the body from a deadened state. So you were able to just start to see the duality of these yeah. very destructive behaviors on one end, yet very helpful on another end. And the, the, the complexity of that, I guess I would call it the duality of that. Yes, or it's a paradox is what I the call it. The paradox, yeah, that's a the good The paradox, way to say what helps you hurts you, which is so fascinating because Steve also started with the paradox, the paradox of the dorsal branch, which is resonates with what I was seeing in the body, that this, this how could this vagus nerve in the body, you know, the, the vagus nerve is the 10th cranial nerve in the body, the longest nerve in the body, and it acts as a kind of conduit that carries information about our bodies, the visceral information, sensory information, up to the brainstem. 80% of that information comes up through the vagus nerve. This vagus nerve. So it's a, it's yeah. a, it's a major route of, of information that we get from our environment through the body to the brain. Yes. And so what happens is that we are able to kind of orient ourselves when we feel safe, that the, the ventral part of that vagus nerve, which is above the diaphragm, kicks in, it gets activated, re relaxes the body when we feel safe enough. And that's the ventral branch. And that's the branch that traditionally was seen as part of the autonomic nervous system. The ventral branch of safety and then the sympathetic branch. It was seen as a dual kind of system. So these two things are operating back and forth and, yes. and moving, depending on our environment, cues, internal, external cues, that yeah, then cues drive behavior. Yeah, that's our autonomic nervous system, right? It's like that's the part of us that watches to see if we're safe. And if we don't feel safe enough, then we move into that flight fight place in the sympathetic branch. But what Steve Porge has discovered is that there's this other branch, the dorsal branch of the vagus nerve, which simultaneously it, it helps you and it kicks in when you're in big trouble by shutting everything down in the body. So you're kind of living in your basement of the house. Right, right. You know? Minimizing energy to survive. This is this is the trauma response of the dissociated place. And that helps you when you need it, when you're not safe. But the problem, of course, is that it also hurts you if the body gets kind of stuck there in a triggered response, even though you may be able to have enough safety in your life that you could shift into the ventral place, but you're triggered and you're frozen. Or you're shutting down. Right. And then you're not being able to move. You're not being able to take action. So when this system is working, it's really helpful for us because it helps us survive. It helps us do things that we need to do in, a, in an environment. If we're about to get eaten by a lion, it's probably good yeah. that this comes on. Uh, well, imagine but then, how, like, how else would you deal with incest? How right. else could you survive torture? 
So the yeah. body, isn't this remarkable? Our bodies have this way of protecting us when we really need to shut down. The problem is that we get stuck there and we lose access to the ventral vagus, even when it might be available because we're, we're stuck. And what addictions do, in my view, is they act as propellers that very efficiently shift us from that sympathetic flight-fight state to the shutdown state or vice versa. Right. Back and forth, moving between these Back two and extremes. Forth. Yeah. Yeah. So, for right. example, you're really freaked out. You're in this activated, triggered state. You drink a lot of alcohol to numb yourself and the body shuts down. And then you, right. you get a break. You, and that's what I could see in people is that they would have the, they would fall asleep for a day or something or, you know, many yeah. hours of yeah. a, a kind of numbing escape. I guess the question I'm, at, I'm thinking is, how does someone get stuck there in these extremes? You know, in that moment, maybe of that trauma of that, of, of incest or torture, the body is coming to our aid in a way to help yes. us survive that. But then once that event is over or gone or it's no longer in the present, mm -hmm. how do we, what happens? Do we get, we get stuck? We get stuck in this place of freeze and freeze is not shut down. Freeze is a blended state in the autonomic nervous system of activation and the sympathetic and also dorsal shutting down. So you're going nowhere fast. Right. It's what we used to call fresh frozen. Fresh frozen. Frozen. Because it's it's frozen and then you can see when someone gets triggered, that traumatic experience becomes as fresh as if it was it was happening right now. Okay. So the freeze state is a combination of those two nervous systems activated at the same time. Is that correct? Those two uh, branches, those two, the two branches yeah. in the nervous system. Uh, of, right. of If you do this even in yourself now, and listeners do this, if you go to freeze and imagine you're a rabbit in the headlights, if you do that in your body right now, and notice what your body does. You're in the headlights. You can't escape. Your body, what happens with your muscles? Oh, they start to kind of tighten. I'm, I'm like, yes. I'm tightening up. I'm like, you're tightening up, but you're not going anywhere because you can't, right? Right. It's kind so of like, you're right, like frozen. Yes. The tightening is the sympathetic branch. And then the, the, the mobilization is the dorsal branch. You're stuck, but you're tight and stuck. That's tight freeze. and stuck. And that's it's freeze. not shut down. Yeah. People, I had to learn that too. <laughs> right. No, People, I, 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 I get that. I mean, that's, it's nuanced. It's, it's very, it can be very, when you see it, you can see it, but it's, it can be hard to see when, I don't know if that doesn't make any sense. It can be hard to see well, when you don't I, see it, but yeah, I, it's I think subtle. I, yeah, I think, yes. I think the thing is that we often talked about the, the autonomic nervous system as fight, flight, freeze. But what Steve is saying is that, you know, there's this new branch, which is actually shut down. And that's the dorsal. And then freeze is this blended state. And there are other blended states in our nervous system. Another one that 
you know, is really easy to understand, I think, is the state of fun or play. And in play, you get this blending of the grounded ventral part of that vagus that's socially engaged with the world and it's fun and we're looking at each other and, and, and frolicking. And, but at the same time, there's an element of sympathetic adrenaline pumping, right? In play. And you can hear this with kids in a playground, right? Or in your backyard, you hear your kids playing and you're like, uh, okay. And then you listen for, be careful, somebody might get hurt because at some point, if, if there's a lack of safety that occurs, then the, your kid's going to go up into fight flight and you're either going to hear crying or uh, yelling with anger or both. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I'm thinking of my own kids safety. right now as you're talking about this. I'm like, yeah, yeah. this makes a lot of sense. Yes. And that's, that's the state of flight fight because they've lost the safety and now they've gone into the autonomic nervous system protecting us and saying, whoa, you know, I need a system of defense here. I'm under attack. Right. And I'm, I'm so glad that you brought up that idea of that blended state of play is mm-hmm. also part of this. And it, and it shows the complexity of our nervous system and the subtlety yeah of our nervous system that is moving around for us to help us uh, survive in the world, I guess. Yeah, exactly. So we see addictions as these kind of state regulation strategies, right? They help us to manage these different nervous system states. There's another blended one that is a blending of the grounded ventral vagal branch of safety and calm and the dorsal of immobilization. And in that state, you get your beautiful practices like meditation, even things like playing the piano, uh, lovemaking. It's where Steve calls this being safe in the arms of a loved one. We feel safe to be still. And this is the place where focusing also occurs. So the felt sense uh, practice in focusing is also a part of the felt sense polyvagal model because I went looking for a way to help these women be in their bodies and learn how to shift states, not with addictions, but through the ventral branch of the vagus through a practice of engaging socially with each other and with me and co-regulating in our nervous systems together in our bodies and also through the practice of felt sensing. So going, learning slowly over time, really slowly, how to feel safe enough in your body to connect with your feelings and let go of dissociating and numbing and being more and more and more present with yourself and with each other in the group and in the world, which of course is not safe to do when you're under attack. Right. Definitely. It sounds like being able to understand our nervous system, what's actually going on, that we can then work with our own nervous system to heal ourselves and heal others. Once we understand it, and so you talk about this felt sense, and my Mm -hmm. guess and my experience is that 
this, like you said, it's slow. It, it takes practice to start to pay attention to these things. And I would imagine because maybe we're swinging through these states really fast without any cognitive awareness of it. Yes, there's no cognitive awareness in the autonomic nervous system. It's autonomic. It's automatic, right? right. We don't think to ourselves, oh, gee, a lion's coming. I need to get out right. of here. I mean, right, we might right. think, oh, I'm, you know, what am I going to do? But the body just shifts. But also, you know, it's very empowering because as I, I created a graphic model, I'm just a visual person. So together with my clients, we created this model that you can download on my website, janwinhall.com. And people started like taking pictures of it on their phone or their uh, watch or their phone or uh, pinning it up on the fridge to locate, to orient, where am I in my nervous system right now? And what do I need to do to shift from this place of addiction down right. into a, a place of feeling grounded in my body? And as you develop these practices, you can become uh, very aware of what is it that I need to do? You check in with yourself, especially with addiction, right? You need to check in with yourself every day. Check right, in, right, be accountable. Right. You know, it's hard work as we know, right? But the beauty of it is when people understand that these addictive behaviors that have been so harmful and to themselves and to people around them, that we're not minimizing the damage, Right. But what we're saying is they were adaptive and they've helped you in some kind of way. They have protected you. And that creates what I call these moments of liberation for people where they really start to understand, oh, my body did this thing to help me survive. And I'm not a bad person. I might have right. done some bad yeah. things to myself and to other people, but it wasn't conscious. My body shifted me into these neurophysiological states. And now it is my responsibility to do whatever I need to do to stop hurting myself and other people. Right. That's true. Once, we are responsible yeah. once you know, right? Yeah. Once you know, you have to take responsibility for your actions. We can't. Yes. When we don't know, we can't do anything with what we don't know because we don't know it. Yeah. Or if we feel so much shame too, right? We, we right. just get stuck. We just get stuck in dorsal and we can't help ourselves to be present enough. Because to take responsibility, you have to be present and you have to be gentle with yourself. Right. Yeah. And, that, yeah. That, and, and when you're in these states or shame, that can be so hard to do. Yeah, so shame difficult is to do. So dorsal, folding into yourself and shutting down. Right. Yeah. And, and we and can get really off. stuck there and closing off and isolating. This is why being in group, you know, uh, for healing with addiction is really essential. Yeah. You know, whatever oh. kind of whatever kind of group you feel comfortable in, but engaging, that's part of the vagus nerve too, right? Is socially engaging with the world. That's what turns us on. Right. Oh, Lights and I, I've, see, I've seen that in, in my work. Um, what I love to do the most is group work because yes. you really see that process take place. 
and yeah. and it's so rewarding to see that. So let's talk a little bit about the the role of the other in helping uh, how we help each other, I guess, with mm-hmm. with our nervous systems. Because, like you said, it's like you need you you need other people to yeah. help you to to do this work. You can't yes lock yourself in a room, fix, your, no, fix yourself, and then no. you, you, you have to do this in the presence of others. So I would, I would yes. love to talk about that. Yeah. I mean, we're, we're mammals. We're wired to connect with each other and to co-regulate as uh, Steve Porges calls it. Right. And what I love about the focusing practice, Jean Gendlin's work is that we po- we focus in partnerships and this, I think, is quite unusual. There, I don't know of another practice that's like that, where you, of course, you can connect down into the fullness of your experiencing by yourself, and we need to do that. But we also have this beautiful way of partnering with another person and being there and showing up and listening and reflecting back to them what you hear happening inside them as right. they share with you. And I run, I run groups for, for uh, people where we do this in groups. We take turns partnering and sharing, and people can become incredibly skilled listeners yeah. with each other. And through this grounding practice together, we, we start to identify, okay, what state am I in right now? Like right now, I'm in a kind of... Um, it's kind of like fun or play, or it's a little fired up. Like I feel grounded, but I've got a bit of adrenaline pumping because, you know, I'm, I'm on air. <laughs> right. So of right. course we need a little bit of that, you know, to ca- kind of like work you up a little bit, right. Get you going, right. get your juices flowing, get energy going. And so it's noticing, you know, what's my default? Where am I usually in my body? And then this piece that, that, uh, Steve, Porges calls the intervening variable. This is crucial. And I didn't really get it for a while, but now I really get it. So the idea here is that how we feel, how we experience the world is determined by what state we're in. So we learn this model, you know, the stimulus and the response. And what Steve is saying is there's an intervening variable there between stimulus and response. That intervening variable is your neurophysiological state. So something stimulates you. Your body goes into this autonomic response. Say I go into fight. Something has stimulated me. I go to fight because unconsciously my body says this is a threat. Then Mm -hmm. how I'm going to respond is determined by that threat feeling. I'm going to tell myself a story about what's happening. Um, My thoughts are going to be angry kind of thoughts and feelings. I might get activated in old traumatic memories that start to blend into the present moment now, and then bingo, I'm gone. I'm really activated and triggered. Right. We're off to the races, probably yeah. not uh, yeah. doing something that is really strategic for our life or gets us where we want to go. Yeah. So, so going back a little bit, I want to ask a little more of a, of a detailed question about that. So in a way, these, these, our nervous system responds to some stimulus, puts us in some kind of state, and will interpret our reality through that state. And if yes. we have trauma, 
right? And we're in that activate, we're going to interpret the, I'm guessing a lot of the world through that lens, because that's yeah. the state we're in. Is that is would that be correct? Yes. Yeah, yeah. And so that's why we see that a lot of folks, you know, a lot of folks who feel very unsafe, who perhaps have always been unsafe in the world, because lots of people never have enough safety in the world. And that I think is becoming more and more evident with COVID, right? Yeah. It's like absolutely. who who in the what is what is safety? And that's really brought to light that really safety is the bedrock of everything how safe we feel. Right. And so right now, you know, we're heightened, right? Where most of us are, we're either in sympathetic where we're watching to see how close people are coming towards us or we're in shutdown and we're going to be much more tended towards shutdown if we have a lot of trauma history. And then the world is an unsafe place. The thoughts that come from that are the world's unsafe, People are against me. I have to watch my back constantly. I can never relax. Right. We can never feel at peace. And if we're never at peace, we, we want some kind of relief. Yeah. And if we, if we're never, if we don't feel that we have enough safety, that we can be calm and still and hold another person or be held by another person, then the body will go into the relief state of addiction. Or, or dissociation. So this is where creating a safe group for yourself with others who are safe and are working towards that same goal is, is so important. It's crucial. Safe enough, I like to call it. Because what is enough, really yeah. safe? I mean, we're only right. as safe as each moment that we're in. Like right now, you and I, as far as we know, we're safe in this right in this moment. But we don't know what the next second is going to bring, right? So it's it's right. Are we safe enough that we can calm ourselves inside ourselves in this moment? And then can we grow to share that together in the group? And that's what's so beautiful, right? Is when that happens, yes. when we start to open and then we start to realize that if somebody in the group triggers us, we start to be able to make that experience that, ah, this person's something they did triggered me, but their intention is not to do harm, right? That's really saved me enough. That's trust. And is that where we start to harness the yes. felt sense yes, in those exactly moments right. we start to harness it exactly we start to we start refine to, it we start to yeah. we start to grow find it. it to find, find it, it and grow it yes because to be in the full felt sense of experiencing our life we have to have enough safety right to show up right to right. be present yeah. And so that is that place where we start to grow at the place of health and growth and restoration, the ventral branch of the vagus. And this takes yeah. time. It takes a long time. I mean, time. we, we, we want to do it right now. We want to yeah. fix it right in the moment. But realistically, yeah, I, I know that, that it, uh, I, I mean, from doing this work for so long, it, it just, it takes years. Of course it does. It, yeah. uh, and depending on how old you are, I mean, how many years have you been kind of doing it the way you've been doing it, right? So in terms yeah. of even yeah. like neuroplasticity, 
we have to think about, you know, what are those pathways that your brain has walked down for 40 years? (laughs) And yes, the beauty of it is that we can change that. But it takes time to reroute and develop these new kind of pathways in the woods, I like to think of it as. New pathways in the wood, walk in, in new directions with yeah. new knowledge, with, with yeah. you know, helping us understand our ourselves in this in this new way so yeah. that we can we can be our best selves. Yeah. And it really is it it is a fundamental paradigm shift. And in my book, I take us through this journey uh, with three different voices. So one is the the kind of the theory part of it, the concepts. The other one is my own felt sense experiencing of those concepts and the journey. And then there are also focusing practices that people do on their own as we, we work through and go through the material. So we're developing a model that is embodied. It's informed by the body process. And this is a paradigm shift. We don't develop theories like this. This comes from Gendlin's work. He he called it thinking at the edge. Gendlin was a philosopher, extremely Ah. bright guy and psychologist. Yeah. Right. And to really see this bigger perspective that just broadens uh, to me, uh, being able to understand this and see this just broadens our perspective and broadens the possibilities for change and growth. Yes, that's right. And there's there's sort of there's two different kind of body processes that I crossed or brought together. So the first one is is Porges neuroception concept, that idea of the process in the body that watches in our ANS for how safe we are. And then Gendlin's process of the felt sense and the felt shift. So the idea here, right, is that these shifts, felt shifts occur in the body as we stay with these uncomfortable states. When we give them loving kindness, our body begins to settle. And then there is this felt shift where we come into ventral. And that felt shift is what I understand as a neurophysiological state change from sympathetic to ventral or dorsal to ventral. Do you get that? Yeah, yeah. So we welcome in these uncomfortable states. We, We welcome them in. We start to pay attention to them. We start to get safety around them as they start to appear in us. And through that process, we we begin to shift and change. Is that yeah, correct? Through, yes, through what Jen, what I call the relational felt sense in the partnership, and what Steve calls co-regulating. So you're co-regulating with another person's nervous system that brings you into enough safety and presence. And right. then you know it, it's as simple as like. You hang out with a friend who is feeling really good and you don't feel really good. And by right. the end of it, you feel good. <laughs> right, right. You know? It's like, a, yeah, yeah. And, th- and that's how we slowly change over time. And, and yes, um, yes, and we feel those shifts in the body, right? We feel a physical release. Gendlin saw that. Those physical releases are neurophysiological state changes. Right. And, and then we can experience the world differently 
yeah. you know, like what we said earlier through this different lens, because we're now we're in a different state, our reality is now different. Exactly. Question that I have is starting this process because when we have all that trauma in our body, to say to someone, just you know, you just need to slow down and welcome those feelings in. It, that it, doesn't like, work. It, yeah, it doesn't work. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't no, work, no, and that's where no. I think we. I guess I'm maybe I'm answering my own question because it's like that's where we need. You know, I I have a saying kind of like we heal through the eyes of others. We, we need yeah, we need the other to help us yes. to do that. And I, I I'm also wondering now as you're talking that the mother child gaze that we all rely on in our early earliest experiences to regulate that is that also at play when we're interacting in groups with others who are able to co-regulate us is that system part yes of that i process? mean that uh, absolutely it's fundamental to the process those early attachment relationships but again i like to broaden that so it's not mm -hmm. just about mothers it's about fathers and in other cultures and other diverse ways of living you know, right. it's about uh, aunties and friends and, you know, polyamorous really. I mean, it's it's not just good, that mother infant, yeah. right? It's very, yeah. I, that's dear to me. It's in, I wrote about it in my book a lot. So, but yes, what, what at those early, early days and how we're, how we're held and how mothers are held by fathers or by other mothers or by aunties right. or by, you know, right, all right. of that is in our body. It's all, everything that's happened to us is in our body. Those, those early primal early attachments relationships. are fundamental. Yeah. 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 To create absolutely. that feeling of safety and, and, yeah. and security. Yeah. Yeah, and that makes itself very known in our groups, doesn't it? <laughs> yes, absolutely, absolutely. absolutely. Yeah. So, Jan, I, I want to thank you so much for for coming on. There's always like one question I, I like to ask when when guests come on. It's like if someone out there is maybe suffering or in pain or something, if you could tell them one one thing, what would you want them to know? What would you want to tell them? Find somebody that you can share some moments of presence with. Find another human being to be in relationship with, even if it's just for short periods of time to begin to build something together, because we cannot do this in isolation. It's impossible. Thank you. Jan, so much for coming on. Where can people find more information about you if they want to connect with you? You can connect with me through my website, janwinhall.com, which takes you to many different places to my book where you get a 20% discount on the website to the polyvagalinstitute.org. Uh, we have a, a big summit coming up in November, which will be amazing. Lots of things. janwinhall.com. Thanks so much, Dwayne. Thank you so much for coming on. I appreciate it. No, it was really fun. All right, everyone. Thank you for listening. You know the drill. All the show notes will be at theaddictedmind.com. You can get all the links to all of Jan's materials and her book and her website. And don't forget, 
If you're enjoying the Addicted Mind podcast, you're getting a lot out of it, please write a review on iTunes. That really does help people find the podcast. So I really do appreciate it. And think about joining our Facebook group. Just go to Facebook, type in the Addicted Mind podcast, click join and continue the conversation online. All right, everyone, have a wonderful day and I will talk to you on the next episode. Take care. It's easy to blame ourselves for our struggles with alcohol. We see people around us being able to control their drinking without any consequences, yet no matter what we try, we can't seem to figure it out for ourselves. My name is Jillian Teets, and I am the host of the Sober Powered Podcast, where I use my biochemistry background to explain the latest research in addiction and help you understand both why you drink the way you do and how to develop the skills and mindset you need to find freedom from alcohol. I discuss topics like why we think about our drinking drinking 24-7, why we have no off switch, and why we crave alcohol. If you're struggling with your drinking or you know someone who is, then I hope that you will check out the Sober Powered Podcast. New episodes every Friday. See you there.